Good morning. Uh, let's start with the word of prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to gather corporately uh, to worship you, Lord, to engage with your word. Uh, I thank you um, just for giving us your Holy Spirit, that we can understand your word and be transformed by it, Lord. I just pray that during this time, your name would be glorified, uh, that your word would be exalted, Lord. I pray that you would grant me clarity of speech uh, and that I would present your truth without error, Lord, that we could all grow in our understanding uh, to more readily reflect the image of your son. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So Hans read our passage for today. Uh, I won't reread it right away, but I will tell you um, the, the truth that I hope to articulate uh, based on this passage. I want to make the statement that bearing one another's burdens is a specific exhortation uh, that highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the work of the believer. Uh, and we'll be unpacking that over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. Before we jump right in, though, it's really important that we establish some context, right? We're jumping in at Galatians 6, 1 and 2. A lot's happened in the previous chapters, and those truths are really important as we engage with this text. Um, so just a little bit about the letter really broadly. Um, Galatians was written, and it was a circular, circular letter uh, to the first century churches in modern-day Turkey. And one of the main things that the Apostle Paul was seeking to address was false teaching from the Judaizers, specifically that circumcision in addition to faith was necessary for salvation. Um, when we think about translating this into the current context of Spring, Texas in 2023, I would argue we can take away one of Paul's key points in writing this epistle is to confront legalistic or works-based approaches to both salvation and sanctification. And this is going to be a really important frame as we engage with these verses. Uh, so that said, let's jump right in to some of those truths that were doctrinally established previously. For the first, we're going to be in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. And the statement I would make based on this passage is that faith alone saves and perfects us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, neither our justification nor our sanctification is achieved through our individual human efforts to work. So again, reading from Galatians 3, 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So a few things that stand out to us in these verses. I'd argue first, the nature of the rebuke, right? You foolish Galatians, this is some pretty strong language we're seeing from the Apostle Paul. And also this reference to who has bewitched you, who's led you astray. Uh, then we move into a series of rhetorical questions that really highlight the role of faith rather than individual works, specifically in this context in receiving and being perfected by the Holy Spirit. We see that we receive the Spirit as a result of hearing with faith, not requiring the fulfillments of the law, or not fulfilling the requirements of the law, and we see that we are continually sanctified by that same Spirit, working through faith, not our own legalistic ad uh, adherence to a set of rules. So that's one of the first really important truths that the Apostle Paul has established in this epistle. 
uh, focus on it's not empty legalistic works, but a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer that's really transformative. Second truth, that might lead you to ask, well, what's the purpose of the law, right? Uh, and I would argue here the big picture statement, the law was never meant for us to fulfill. Uh, our faith is not about checking off a to-do list. And for this, we're going to continue to be in Galatians 3, but we're going to jump down to 3, 23, and 24. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Again, seeing that common thread of justification through faith. Um, but here we actually see what the law did. And I'm going to refer to a couple of other purposes of the law beyond just these two verses. Um, but the first, I would argue, is the law revealed God's standard for righteousness and holiness, and one that none of us could ever meet. And I think we see this perhaps most clearly in the Sermon of the Mount, when our Lord Jesus Christ is effectively going through the law and using it to make an airtight case, to be frank, that your own righteousness is not going to ever measure up to this expectation. Um, so we see very clearly the law's purpose was to condemn, and we see that in this language of captive, imprisoned, right? Um, but that purpose in condemning was ultimately to lead us to placing saving faith in the finished work of Christ rather than our human effort. Again, we're seeing the same theme that we keep pulling back. I'm emphasizing a lot because it's really important for our verses today. The third, and this is the final doctrinal truth we're going to really delve into before engaging with our specific passage. Galatians highlights that the believer has transitioned from condemnation under the law to life by the Holy Spirit. And our mindset and our perspective should reflect this truth, which would guide us to ultimately praise the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So here we're going to be looking at Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So again, very clearly we see the believers no longer under the law. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, actually redeemed the believer from bondage under the law. A couple of points I want to draw out here, this language of redeem. Uh, the concept of to redeem is to actually pay the price to purchase someone for your own uh, purpose, to be frank. So in this case, we see the believer was redeemed in order to be adopted. Um, and this has some really amazing results for us as believers. Uh, as a result, we receive the Holy Spirit, which will unpack what that looks like in this context of bearing one another's burdens. We can call God Father, and we experience freedom as heirs. So those are just three kind of really significant doctrinal truths, I would argue, that we have to have a handle on as we engage with Galatians 6, 1 and 2. That said, let's come back to that thesis statement and actually jump into our passage this morning. Bearing one another's burdens is a specific exhortation that highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer. So as we look at these verses, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, I want us to start by understanding it as a specific exhortation. 
For those of us raised in the church, we might have heard bear one another's burdens thrown around pretty casually. Might have had this idea of it can mean all things to all people. That's not the case. This is a very specific command that we see. And there's a specific way that we're to go about uh, adhering to it. So three specific things that I want you to listen for and we're going to work through. Uh, Here we see Paul addressing a specific audience. It's no longer just the churches in Galatia. He's getting much more specific. Secondly, we're going to see him define a specific burden. And then finally, we see a specific goal and what bearing burdens should do. That's where we're headed. So those are the three questions that we're going to unpack. The verses, again, and I'll reread. This is what Hans read earlier. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I would ask you, who's Paul addressing? This is not rhetorical. I want to hear. Who is Paul addressing? You who are spiritual, right? So we've moved beyond just this broad letter to the churches in Galatia. And we've moved, we start with brothers, but as you can see, it continues. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. This is really important for us to start with getting a handle on this, right? This exhortation is actually given to a specific group within the body of Christ. So that should lead you asking, well, Stikes, tell me what what does it mean to be spiritual? It's not sinless perfection because none of us would be there. Um, Rather, I would argue in this immediate context, we have to define you who are spiritual, thinking about the truths in Galatians 5, 16 through 25. And I have 45 minutes, so we're not going to have a full sermon on the whole book of Galatians. We'd be here for about six months. I think that's how long Candace and I spent with it. Um, So big picture view. What do we see here? Um, Galatians 5, 16 through 25. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that there are two ways that a believer can walk. And by walk, this is getting at a routine pattern of life. It's not every single instance of every single day. It's how is your life characterized? And we see the believer can walk by the flesh or the spirit. It's one or the other. You can't have a foot in both camps. Uh, And yeah, (laughs) to be frank, they're at war with one another, right? Can't occupy both of those spaces at once. Our passage, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, is immediately after that relatively long discussion of walking by the flesh versus walking by the spirit. So I think the most appropriate way for us to define you who are spiritual in this context is a believer who is walking by the spirit. Um, I would even be a little bit cautious. Early, I, I defined it in terms of maturity, but there's not specific language of maturity through my study here. It's walking by the spirit. As we walk by the spirit, we certainly do grow and mature, But a new believer uh, who might not quite be very mature can be walking by the Spirit, and they would qualify for this. They would be in a position to bear burdens. That's you who are spiritual. Uh, Thank you for engaging with that face. Uh, Quirks will come through despite my best efforts. Um, So the second point that I want to make is how do we recognize you who are spiritual? I would argue this is revealed by fruit. 
Again, going back to those truths in Galatians 5, 16 through 25. The fruit of the flesh produces a whole laundry list of things that's not even inclusive. At the end, Paul's like, and all the things like this, right? Uh, The fruit of the spirit is very specific. So if the pattern of life of a believer is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're seeing those pattern of fruit in a believer on a given day, they're walking by the Spirit. I would also argue stepping more broadly into thinking about teachings in the New Testament that tell us how we as believers are to engage within the body and with the Word of God. Another series of questions, is the believer engaged with regular prayer, personal study of God's Word, and fellowship with the intent to serve the body, right? These are some things that are going to help us identify you who are spiritual. So we see right out the gate, Paul has identified a specific audience that he's charging to bear one another's burdens. And we'll see as we unpack what bearing burdens looks like, why it has to be you who are spiritual. You can't be walking in the flesh and bear another's burden, and we'll see why. So that's the first question and answer. Second question and answer, uh, what is the burden? What is the burden? And again, I would argue this is a specific answer. And that most immediate context of following uh, on this relatively long discussion of walking by the flesh and walking by the spirit, it's a sin issue, right? I would also argue there's very specific language in Galatians 6.1 that clearly indicates this burden is a sin issue. We see a descriptive clause of whose burden we are to bear. Anyone caught in any transgression. There are some differing views on what it means to be caught in any transgression. Uh, Some teachers have defined it a little bit more narrowly. In my study, I think actually embracing a broader interpretation is the most appropriate here. So I would argue that um, anyone caught in any transgression, it can look like two things. Uh, The first, it might be an actual act of sin that you observe. You might see a brother or sister in Christ engaging in a sinful behavior. Uh, that would be someone caught in a transgression. The other um, scenario that I would argue is going to be when someone's having an ongoing struggle with the flesh. Uh, You might know a believer, a brother or sister, who's consistently struggling with some of the same daily struggles in the flesh that just keep rearing their ugly head. And they might be struggling to resist that temptation and giving in to the flesh in those regards. I would argue those are the two ways that we would define one Um, who is caught in any transgression. I want to talk a little bit about the Greek here as well. I'm not going to get into the Greek because I don't speak Greek. Uh, But in terms of looking at some resources, I got enough to know what the context is on some of these terms that also helps us understand this burden, this sin issue. Caught. The Greek word for caught in this instance has a connotation of actually being ensnared in a trap or in a net. Turning to burden, which is in 6.2. This is a load that is too heavy for one person. It's a weight that is just too much at the onset for one person to manage. So when we hear that language of ensnared or caught in a net, bearing a burden that's more than a one-person load, this can help us understand this exhortation to bear one another's burdens. It helps us to understand and see God's purpose for his fellowship within his body. In short, these are sin issues that can't be managed by a single person. Uh, If you're ensnared in a net, 
you're going to have a hard time getting yourself out of it. Uh, and to be frank, if you're trying to heave some huge boulder, it's not going to happen, right? Another thing I'll note, some translations uh, actually translate burden in both Galatians 6.2 and Galatians 6.5. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But if your translation uses burden in both of those cases, you might look at these verses and be like, this is a little bit confusing. Uh, it's a different original Greek word. So in 6.2, again, it's a load no one person could bear. Galatians 6.5 is a one-man load or a one-person load. It's this idea of kind of like a backpack, like you should be able to manage that one load. So Galatians 2 and Galatians 6.5 are not conflicting one another. It's a different Greek word there. And we aren't in Galatians 6.5, so that's all I'll say on that. Um, so that's the burden. We've talked about who is Paul addressing. Now we've defined what is the burden. Let's move on to what is the end goal. And this is another one I'll ask in a non-rhetorical fashion. What's the end goal that we see the Apostle Paul articulate in these verses? We see restoration. I'm really, I can't hear y'all. I'm sure it's great. I should have thought that through. This is a big room. Uh, I would say gentle, watchful restoration is the end goal based on these verses. I'll reiterate that. Gentle, watchful uh, restoration. So the manner in which we are called to bear one another's burdens. A spirit of gentleness. This is going to, again, reiterate why Paul's addressing believers walking in the spirit. That gentleness should be ringing a bell, right? Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. If you're walking in the flesh, there's not going to be a spirit of gentleness present when you're bearing a burden. I want us to define the spirit of gentleness a bit more. And the reason I would say that, I think we have certain terminology that we often use the world's language to try to understand versus truth from Scripture. And I think gentle is one of these words we often struggle to define. In the context of Scripture, I like the idea of defining gentleness as strength under control. So it's not weakness, but it's strength under control. And if you look at a lot of examples that Scripture draws to on gentleness, you'll see that. Our Lord Jesus Christ, strength under control. King David, strength under control. Moses, strength under control. Many people that we see specific references to discussed in some context of being gentle or meek. These were not weak people. These were strong people. But their strength was under control, and it was wielded for the glory of God rather than their personal gain or their personal reputation. So that's the spirit of gentleness. Uh, when we're seeking to bear another's burdens, when we're seeking to help someone with a struggle in sin, it should be characterized by a spirit of gentleness. Not accusing the sin behavior, certainly, right? This isn't avoiding the sin issue, but in the context of how do you bear the burden, it doesn't become a personal attack against a brother or sister. The second element to how we're working toward this end goal, watchful. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And this is one that I think we often, in the context of this verse, we might look at it and be like, well, yeah, you got to resist the temptation that you're helping someone bearing that specific burden. I think a lot of times we read this verse and we think, don't step in the same sin that the brother or sister is struggling with. That's certainly true. But I would again 
argue that a broader interpretation here is really important. And I think that broader interpretation is keep watch on yourself to remain walking in the Spirit while you're bearing the burden. So I'll state that again. It's not just about not engaging in that same sin issue, but rather it's to remain walking in the Spirit while you're walking alongside a brother or sister bearing a burden with them. This caution against operating in the flesh has to be present because only those who are engaged in walking by the Spirit can bear the burden. As we've just said, the burden has to be buried in a spirit of gentleness. Um, And we'll see shortly, its end goal of restoration would also reflect a believer engaging by walking in the Holy Spirit or walking by the Spirit. Um, Another thing I would argue that would naturally stem from this vigilance to ensure that we remain in the Spirit as we're bearing burdens, it's going to help us avoid pride in our own selves. Uh, If we see sin in another believer and we remain in the Spirit, we're not going to get puffed up, and I don't sin like that. Um, It's going to prevent us from becoming frustrated with a brother or sister who is genuinely repentant and remorseful over sin, but struggling to resist it on the daily level. And it's obviously going to remove this place. There's no place for anger if you're in the spirit, right? So again, we see very clearly, I think, that the most appropriate way to engage with this, keep watch on yourself, is a check yourself, make sure you're remaining in the spirit while you're doing this work of bearing burdens with one another. That third point, restoration. So we've covered gentle, we've covered uh, watchful, now let's move in on this end goal of restoring a brother or sister. You can see Paul's Uh, or not Paul, but the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul's intent here, is not that we're just chastising a believer who's out of line. It's not that we're just correcting a specific sin issue even. But the goal is to restore the believer to the fellowship. And not just to restore them to the fellowship uh, so we can enjoy one another's company, but to restore them to the fellowship to serve the body of Christ. That's the whole purpose, right? Right? We have some of the most involved metaphors, I would argue, for the church in the New Testament focus on the body, right? Uh, Some of the most involved passages around giftings and our roles in unity often come to this language of the body. And I think that's a very helpful metaphor here. If you've got an arm or a shoulder that is out of uh, of sorts, it's not going to be able to do its purpose. It has to be medically restored. Again, in terms of a really subtle nuance of the Greek that's really quite fascinating here, um, the word restore was a medical term. And it was this idea of setting a bone. So setting a bone so it can be repaired for a proper service. So that's the end goal. We've covered who is Paul addressing, those who are walking according to the Spirit. What is the burden? Very clearly a sin issue. What's the end goal? Gentle, watchful restoration. Now we'll turn to how is this accomplished. Uh, And this one, I would argue, we're not going to get that just straightforward from Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Um, But there's a really helpful interaction earlier in Galatians, I think, that unfolds a process here for what correcting a brother or sister might look like while remaining in the Spirit. So we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's interaction with Peter that's recorded in Galatians 2, 12 through 20. And again, this could be a whole sermon, so we're doing 5,000-foot view here. Uh, But let's jump in with um, actually reading the passage first. So again, Galatians 2, verses 12 through 20. 
For before certain men came from James, he, being Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw the conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I, being Paul, said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like the Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, a lot there. We're not going to go too deeply. But for the purposes of using this as an illustration on bearing burdens, I want us to start by getting at what's the sin issue? What's the burden that Peter was struggling with here. Again, non-rhetorical, but it's got to be loud because I can't hear. What's the burden Peter steps in? Hypocrisy, right? We see him acting like a hypocrite, um, and that sin needs to be addressed. In this instance, the sin was addressed publicly, and I would argue it was addressed publicly because it was attached to the gospel truth and others were being led astray. So the Apostle Paul is like, we're getting this cleared up right now and make sure everybody's on the same page. So that's the rebuke. That's the sin issue. The way that the Apostle Paul responded to that, you might read that and be like, that's not gentle. I'd argue, yeah, that's very gentle and that's very loving. There's no personal attack on who Peter is. It's all around the truth and how Peter's actions are not in sync with the truth. So first, we see the Apostle Paul remind Peter of truth. And these are truths that he knew. Um, specifically, we see this in verse 14. Uh, yeah, no, sorry, this is getting at 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So whenever Paul sees the Apostle Peter acting in sin, he addresses the sin and reminds Peter of truth. But he doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop simply with the rebuke. After the rebuke, specifically in verses 19 and 20, I would argue we see really heavy efforts to encourage. And again, this isn't some empty, fluffy, uh, bro, it's okay, get back on the horse, right? Like this is encouragement anchored in truths. Again, truths that they heard the Lord Jesus teach. Those specific truths, he reminds Peter Dying to the law brings us life in Christ. Uh, how do you hear that and not just be like, praise God, and dancing down the street? I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Again, this reminder statement of identity, certainly a form of encouragement that the Apostle Paul is bringing to the table. And then lastly, this idea that the life is lived 
uh, by faith in Christ who loved me and gave himself up for me. Again, pointing to that redemption, that act of redemption and what that meant. So we see in this encounter in Galatians that the Apostle Paul is very effectively, I would argue, bearing Peter's burden by first reminding him of truths in Scripture with the intent to instruct, reminding with the intent to instruct, and then moving on to encouraging. That's how we do it. I would argue the typical process for us is likely going to look quite distinct from Paul's rebuke of Peter. If you read this and you're stepping away thinking, I'm the Apostle Paul or I'm the Apostle Peter, that's not the way you want to engage with this text. Uh, If you ever find yourself reading that and be like, I'm Paul, I'd pray about it. (laughs) Uh, So how do we engage with this? What I would say here um, is actually our Lord Jesus Christ gives a great process for what this looks like in Matthew 18, 15. For the purposes of this sermon and where we're currently at, I would say it typically should start with a private conversation. Starts with a private conversation between a brother and a sister or whatever, you know what I'm getting at. Private conversation to draw attention to the sin and remind of the truth. Um, So this should start more privately. We should not typically be jumping right into bearing burdens very publicly, I would argue. So now we'll give a hypothetical scenario. And I'm pretty intentional here in picking the most generic general example I could possibly think of because I wanted an application that could very easily apply to each of us as believers, not individual. We are members of a collective body, right? So the example that I'll give here, let's say you're in a community group and a brother or sister articulates a clear frustration toward another person indicates a clear frustration toward another person. It could be a random person driving on I-45. It could be a coworker, a student, family member, an AT&T call call service employee, right? Like any person that someone is frustrated with. That's an area where someone could have some help getting a burden carried, to be frank. Um, So what might that look like? I would say you would start with sharing truths from Scripture that speak to that specific instance. In this case, on personal frustration directed toward another person rather than an act or a sin, uh, I would argue maybe truce about humility, right? You could go somewhere like uh, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 with the lowly walk, talking through what it means to walk in humility and how that shapes our views of others. Uh, You could also go to Philippians 2 where our Lord Jesus Christ is presented as a model example of humility and we're instructed specifically to esteem others more highly than ourselves, right? That's a truth from Scripture that in that moment when anyone struggling with frustration is going to help reset. Then we move on to encouragement, right? So not just stopping at the truth, but how do we encourage them in it? And here I would argue reminding them that it's not a work that you're going to do in and of yourself. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is another one of those chapters that you can't read without just walking away saying, praise God. Um, So reminding of those truths, that the Holy Spirit is the agent that's bringing this change around. Um, That God the Father is sovereign over our progressive sanctification. He's sovereign over our struggles with the flesh, and he's using those to shape us in his time, right? Those are very encouraging truths for a believer who's walking in the flesh to hear in that moment. And they're true. Again, you don't have to worry about messing up. If you're just sharing verses from Scripture, you're not going to say anything wrong. (laughs) Um, So that said, let's talk about the response. 
So we've engaged with this exhortation to bear one another's burdens as a specific exhortation. So what's the response to this? I would argue the first thing to think about is that bearing burdens should naturally emerge from our fellowship in the body of Christ. This is not something we should be actively going about seeking. It should just be what we do in terms of as who we are. Um, As long as our fellowship reflects what we see in Scripture about how we should be engaging with one another around prayer, uh, praise for God, reading the word, if those things are present, bearing burdens should naturally flow as believers struggle with sin. Another thing we need to make explicit here uh, and directly state, this exhortation is exclusive in scope. So while Paul addressed you who are spiritual, the context is brothers, right? This is the body of Christ. When we're bearing one another's burdens, we can only bear the burden of other believers, right, in this context. Um, because there's no walking in the spirit if you're not a believer. Uh, so this exhortation is only makes sense if we're thinking about relationships within the body of Christ. From there, we can see there are going to be two places someone's going to be. You're either walking by the Spirit or you're walking by the flesh. If you're walking by the Spirit, I think the response is you recognize bearing burdens is an expectation. It's just something you do. It's something you should be doing. It's a role of service that you're doing for the body of Christ. It's not some independent, isolated thing you really set out to do to, like, really work to do. It's just who you are. It's the way the Lord's going to use you in the body of Christ. And be purposeful to engage in that fellowship recognize that that's what we're called to do and do it. And do it and keep with the spirit of watchful, gentle restoration. Turning to the other scenario, a believer caught in any trespass. For this individual, I would say the response is to expect to be gently restored. On sharing the struggle with sin, on sharing the sin, your expectation should be to lovingly and gently be restored for service to the body. Um, Again, be purposeful to engage in the fellowship in the body of Christ. Be honest in sharing the struggles you've got. So that's the first big picture, kind of, and that's the bulk of where we're at, so please don't fret. Uh, But we are going to now turn away from the specifics of understanding this exhortation to a mindset that's really important. And again, this mindset argument, if you will, is just coming from being really careful to keep our understanding of Galatians 6, 1, and 2 in the context of the letter and what's going on. So I'll restate that thesis. Bearing one another's burdens is a specific exhortation that highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in the believer. Uh, So again, this exhortation, it's not a legalistic checklist. It's something that we just set out to do. It's not something we can do in our own strength. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is really clear when we zoom in much more specifically on Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the first question you should ask here is, well, what is the law of Christ? Uh, and at first, when you think back to that transition from law to life by the Spirit, that might seem kind of confusing, but they are not in conflict. Um, the law of Christ is a fruit of the Spirit. And that's the point I'm going to unfold right now. Um, And again, we can actually see the Apostle Paul has previously defined the law of Christ in Galatians. 
So here we're going to be looking at Galatians 5. We'll start with Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ, uh, 5, 6, and then 5, 13 and 14. Sorry about that. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts for anything, but only faith working through love. Then jumping down to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that very clearly defines the law of Christ in the context of love for one another. Uh, But now I want us to make this link between how this isn't just a law to how this is actually a fruit of the Spirit. And to do that, let's just jump down to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So here we very quickly see that the law of Christ, in a nutshell, is sacrificial demonstrations of love within the body of Christ and for others. Um, These genuine demonstrations of love that would sync up with the law of Christ are a fruit of the Spirit. They're not a work. Uh, They're not something that we just really knuckle down and we can do. As a result, then, our bearing brothers, or our bearing burdens of brothers and sisters is an expression of love as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. So that's the way we should be thinking about it in the context of what's going on in Galatians. Other question that we need to ask here is how must we interpret bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? If you just zoom in on this verse in and of itself, you might walk away thinking it's a do this and this is the result. Again, in the context of Galatians, that can't be the point the Apostle Paul is making here. So just recalling some of the key points that we've made throughout our time together. One of Paul's main options, or not options, objectives in writing this epistle was to emphasize that neither saving faith nor progressive sanctification growing in Christ-likeness can stem from our following any list of rules, regulations, or laws. Uh, It has to be a work of the Spirit. In that context, when we think about bearing one another's burdens, it reflects our identity as being in Christ. Bearing one another's burdens reflects our identity as heirs empowered by the Holy Spirit functioning within the body of Christ. It does not qualify us as that. So what's the response to this mindset? Again, I would say the biggest picture, uh, bearing one another's burdens is an expression of who we are as believers. And not just who we are now, but who we know we will be made into. And I would argue this should spark two immediate responses for the believer. The first, it reiterates the importance of our engagement and fellowship. We should desire to be with our body which when we think about bearing burdens is a natural outgrowth of this, it's an obvious link, right? If you're spending your time engaging with and seeking to serve the body of Christ, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to bear burdens. And recognizing who you are should drive a desire to do that. The second point, I would argue, is this truth should just make us praise God. Thankfully, praise God. 
for the work of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. We can trust that as we engage with Scripture, as we walk by the Spirit, and as we seek to grow in our capacity to honor the Lord, that he's going to increase our capacity to love one another by bearing burdens. This isn't just something that we knuckle down and say, I'm going to bear the best burden I can do, right? We recognize this is the Holy Spirit at work in us. And as we grow, our capacity to do this continues to grow.